Good morning, everyone. I get the pleasure and the privilege to travel to the armpit of America tomorrow for work. They're sending me to New Jersey. Sorry if you're from New Jersey or you love New Jersey, but really not my favorite place. You can't make a left-hand turn. You can't pump your own gas. And it's basically a sweat box there. And every time I go, it's not a good situation. I don't enjoy it. But I'm going for work. And gainly employment is always a blessing. And I'm happy to be doing that. But every time I leave the house on a trip like this, and really almost any time I leave the house in general, there's something that I tell my daughter before I leave, and if you're a parent, maybe you can relate to this, maybe you've said this, be good for your mother. <laughs> maybe you've said that before. Be good for your mother. While I'm gone, while I'm away, I want you to be good. And I, I tell her that a lot, and most of the time she is, and that's a blessing for sure, but it's a reminder that I'm constantly giving. And as, as I was thinking about this lesson this morning, I was thinking about how that's kind of the job of a preacher in some regards, is to remind the congregation, to remind really myself first and foremost, to remind us all to be good for the Lord God to be good for our Father, to be good people in this world. We all have a responsibility to be good, to obey our Father, to obey what He's called us to do. And in a lot of sermons and a lot of times we get together and study the Bible, that's really what we're focused on, on doing, is, is learning how to be good, reminding ourselves to be good. And that, maybe that sounds a little generic, and, I, and I'm intentionally being <laughs> generic here. Why should we be good? Why should we be good people? Why, why do we have the motivation as people to be good? I could tell Ashlyn, because I said so. Be good for your mother because I said so. And, and that'll, that'll get you so far, I think. But there are actually reasons for us to be good for our father. And I... I want to put it up here as big as I can. I, I probably could have made it even a little bigger. That's the reason why we're good for our Father. Grace is the reason why we are good for our Father, why we obey our Father, why we do everything our Father tells us to do. It is because of grace, and Paul puts it so eloquently in Ephesians chapter 2. One of probably the most powerful passages on grace in the New Testament. As Paul says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. The first three verses here in this chapter are focused on our failure. Not just someone else's failure. Not just mankind or humanity's failure, but my failure. He said, in which we all once walked. We were all transgressors of God's law. We all once followed the prince of the power of the air. 
We all have sinned. We are all broken people. We are all people who need something that we can't take care of ourselves. And that leads us to two of the most powerful words in all of the New Testament, in my opinion. But God. If it were not for this phrase here, but God, we would be lost in our sins. Our sins, your sins, and my sins would have permanently separated us from, from God's love and from his grace. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So he's getting us to understand here the, the, the fact of what God did. But God, even when we were dead in our trespasses, even when we were dead in our sins, but God showed his immeasurable mercy, the riches of his mercy, his great love. Even while we were dead, he made us alive. He brought us back to life. When we were dead in our trespasses, he brought us back so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. We have been saved now by grace. It's not about the works that we've done. It's not about the good people that we were or that we used to be or that we are now. Sometimes we may try to sneak in our worthiness into the back door here in this equation. Well, at least I'm better than that person. At least I'm not doing all the sinful things that they're doing. And while that may be true, while you may be living a righteous life, at the end of the day, you are a sinner. Without God's grace, you are lost, like everyone else. And here's the point that I want to focus on in this lesson, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Wait a second. He said it's not about our works. There's no works that we can do. Well, yes, it's not about our worthiness. But now, because of his grace, we have been created for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What does grace do? What does grace look like? Is grace just a feeling that we have? Is grace just something we experience inwardly? Is grace just something that we talk about theologically when it comes to telling people that they have to work or not work or do things or not do things? What is grace? What does it look like? Grace looks like my daily, constant obedience to the Father because he's given everything to save me from my own sins. Why, when I tell my daughter to be good for your mother, is that meaningful? Because her mother has given everything to raise her 
a gift that she's given our daughter that our daughter didn't deserve. Our father has given everything to save us from our sins. And when we see the amazing things that he's done for us, we throw ourselves down and say, how can I serve you more? How can I do more for you? We see this very clearly in Luke chapter 7. This is what Jesus is experiencing as he's sitting in Simon's house. And a woman who was regarded as a sinful woman by the crowd was basically throwing herself at Jesus' feet. We know the story. It's very familiar. But this man, Simon, really just doesn't want to have anything to do with this sinful woman. Essentially says, Jesus, if you were such a prophet, you would know that she's a sinful woman and you wouldn't let her touch you. And so he presents to him a story. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. Jesus says, you have judged me. You have judged rightly. And then he points to the woman. And he says, look what she's doing. Not look how she's feeling. Look how she's, look how she's changed in her heart. He says, look at what she's doing. He says, you gave me no water. You gave me no kiss. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has not ceased to do all of these things since I've been here. When we realize, when we internalize what grace has done for me, all we can think about is how do I serve Jesus more? How do I do good things? For my father. That is what, that is our response to grace. That is our response to this favor that we don't deserve, is to every day thank our Lord by obeying him and doing what he says. You know, we complicate grace a lot, and we, we try to explain away these false doctrines about grace, but just fundamentally, Letting the facts about grace sink into our hearts, it changes everything about how we live. And the real point of this lesson this morning is about doing good. Doing good like that sinful woman did at the feet of Jesus. Doing good like all of these opportunities we have to be created for good works, as Paul talked about in Ephesians 2. We have an opportunity, we have a, a responsibility to mirror God's mercy that he's shown to me into the world I live in today. Grace is not just something that happens to you. Grace is something that you pass along to other people. When God has showed you mercy, you're responsible to show others mercy as well. Be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful, Jesus said in Luke 6. Be merciful like he's merciful. So I want to talk just for a few minutes here this morning about mirroring God's mercy. When you really settle into the fact that God's grace has done some amazing things in your life, what does that look like now in your life? And I think it looks like mirroring forgiveness. Mirroring forgiveness is so important. When we understand how much we've been forgiven, we understand when Peter comes to Jesus in Matthew 18 and asks a real simple question, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me 
and I forgive him as many as seven times. And of course, Jesus says, I, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. And of course, the popular joke, you know, we, we start counting up, and once we get to 491, we kick the guy to the curb, right? That's not what Jesus is implying here. Not a specific number. He's not telling Peter to wait 490 and then 491. You can stop forgiving them. Forgiveness is endless. And when we understand how much God has forgiven us, how much God has, has God forgiven you? How much has he forgiven me? And am I willing to forgive others the way he's forgiven me? When I really settle into grace, when I really understand the favor that he showed me that I did not deserve, how willing am I to forgive other people? And he tells, again, another parable, a very similar parable as the one we just talked about. But there was a, a man who had two servants, or he had a servant, and the servant basically owed 10,000 talents. Now, you could count that out in today's money, and it's almost like $10 billion. It's a ridiculous sum of money. How does this guy end up owing this much money? I have no idea. I mean, how could you rack up a $10 billion debt? Some of us could, maybe. <laughs> uh, to be honest, I mean, some of us probably could. I, I don't know that I could. Maybe I could. But he couldn't pay the debt. And so the master is essentially saying, look, you're going you're gonna to pay the debt. And he begs me, pleads with him, please forgive me of the debt. Finally, the master says, okay, I'll forgive you. He releases him, and then the man goes, and he finds somebody who owes him 100 denarii in verse 28. 100 denarii, maybe like 200 bucks. I mean, insignificant compared to the $10 billion you owed. And he seizes him. He begins choking him and says, pay what you owe. And he throws him into prison, basically, and, and will not forgive him. The master originally comes back and sees what's been happening. And he's not happy about this. He says, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers that he should pay all of his debt. So also, Jesus says, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. What does mercy do? What does God's mercy to me cause me to do? What does God's grace cause me to do? It causes me to forgive other people because I have been forgiven a debt that I could not pay. You think about Stephen in Acts 7, and he mirrored Jesus' forgiveness, didn't he? As he is being stoned to death, the words that he says there, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I mean, he almost verbatim quotes Jesus' dying words on the cross. As he's being stoned to death, extending forgiveness to these people who hated him and who were about to kill him. Can we forgive people today? Can we extend God's mercy that he's shown to us? Can we mirror that, reflect that into the lives of other people around us? It is so easy to hold grudges, isn't it? I, I may not be ripped, but I can carry a grudge on my back for longer than most of you can. And I can walk around with it. And that's to my shame. I need to be willing to let things go. I need to will be willing to forgive people. And if you struggle with forgiveness, know that you're not alone. Know that Jesus talks about this so often. 
our need to forgive people. And not only forgive people, but forgive people from our heart. This is not just a, a dog and pony show that we're putting on for people. This is not just some in-word-only kind of forgiveness. This is sincere, heartfelt forgiveness that we extend to other people. And maybe a question for us all as we think about mirroring forgiveness. What are the biggest barriers to my forgiveness? Maybe you have a barrier to forgiveness in your life. Maybe you have something that stands in your way of forgiving people. What is that? What is that that stands in your way? Only you're going to be able to answer that question. But I think once we start to, to look for what these roadblocks are what, are, what are these things that prevent us from letting the grace of God reflect into the lives of other people around us? When we figure out what's standing in the way, then hopefully we can address it and forgiveness will come much easier for us. What stands in your way? What's the biggest barrier to your forgiveness? Because God's mercy demands that we forgive other people as we've been forgiven. That $10 billion debt that God wrote off in Jesus' death. But we also need to mirror kindness. Forgiveness is one thing. Kindness is another thing. And we understand the importance of kindness, as I guess Dad talked about on Wednesday night, the Good Samaritan in that great parable. I think this parable just shows us exactly what kindness is all about. You can be the, the priest who walks by. You can be the Levite who, lock, who walks by, two very religious people. And what did they do? They, they crossed over on the other side. They didn't pay attention to the man. And Jesus goes on in this story. He says, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. Luke 10, verse 33. When he saw him, he had compassion. You know what compassion is, right? Compassion is that feeling. It's a heart, emotional response to something. To have compassion on someone, to feel like they feel, to just reach out in your, in your heart and put yourself in their situation. Empathy more, but compassion and love for them. He had compassion. But notice, notice what really the answer to this question is in verse 37. Who is the one who proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? robbers? Verse 37, he said, the one who showed him mercy. Not the one who felt compassion, but the one who showed him mercy. The Samaritan had compassion that turned into action. You can feel compassion about some situation all day long, but until it turns into action, it's not really doing anyone any good, is it? Until I really take the steps to, and, and as he says here in this story, I mean, it was, it was a pretty detailed set of things that this Samaritan did for him. He cleaned him up, he bandaged him, he poured oil and wine on him. He got out of his car and put the man in his own car, not car, but on his animal. He walked beside his animal so that this man could, could ride on the animal instead of him, and he walked beside him all the way down to the inn, where he then offered to pay more to support him and care for him. When we look around asking, who is my neighbor, though, like this man desiring to justify himself, when we start trying to limit the scope or the bubble of our kindness, 
to limit those people who we have to actually help. We're doing ourselves a disservice. Think about grace again. Did God limit who he offered and extended his grace to? Did he say, well, I'll give my grace to you, but I will not give my grace to someone else? No, God extends his grace to all people. All people have opportunity to experience his grace, his favor in Jesus Christ. And all people should have the opportunity to experience our love and our mercy today as well. It's like what John talks about in 1 John chapter 1, or 1 John chapter 3. He says in verse 17, If anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. That's what we're talking about here. Grace isn't just a feeling. It's not just something we experience. Grace turns us around and sends us out into the world to act. And if all we do is think and all we do is talk and all we do is say, go in peace, be warmed and filled like James talks about, how does God's love abide in us? Unless we get out there and act. And it's not to say that we have to help every single person around us, but when we do help somebody, when we do have an opportunity to do something, know that you're mirroring God's kindness to you out to other people. That's what it means to be a good neighbor. That's what it means to be a good citizen of this community of the world that we live in. To get out there and show others kindness. The kind of kindness that we were shown. That every single one of us was shown in Jesus' death on the cross for us. So we need to have kindness. We need to forgive others. We need to have kindness. And we can ask ourselves in this question, do I look outside of my bubble and create ways to show kindness? Do I look around for opportunities to, to be kind to other people? We tell our kids, be kind to others. Maybe, I don't know if you remember VHS tapes. You remember the be kind, rewind. Like, this is a responsibility we all have as citizens when we check out a VHS type, tape. Don't forget, be kind, rewind. Kindness is something we do every day. Kindness is something we have the opportunity to do every day to somebody. Just a small gesture, a cup of cold water, a kind word, recognizing somebody's help and support. We all have opportunities to be kind. Am I looking outside of my bubble, though, to be kind to everyone? Not just a select group of people. All right, so the last point here is mirroring the Lord's patience. Patience is awesome, especially while you're preaching and everyone's waiting for you to finish. I appreciate your patience. But we all need to mirror the patience of God toward us because God is so incredibly patient with us. If you, if you think about even in Jesus' ministry in Luke chapter 22, you think about how Jesus was patient with his disciples, particularly here, Peter, but also with Judas and many others. Notice how Jesus is constantly being patient with Peter. Notice his, his long suffering. By the way, the word in the Greek, makrothumia, which is used in the fruit of the spirit and then 1 Corinthians 13, Mitch in his qualities of love class talked about this. Makrothumia, we know what macro means, long. Makrothumia means long suffering. It means 
basically having a long fuse. You can have a short fuse, and I've had a short fuse a lot in my life, but we, can, we need to develop a long fuse, long suffering with each other. And that is exactly what Jesus does with Peter, isn't it? Because Jesus points out to Peter that Satan has demanded you, in verse 31 of Luke 22, that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Now, he's praying for him. He's, he's coming to the, the Father on his behalf, praying that his faith would stand strong, even knowing that it won't. Jesus tells him, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times that you know me. Jesus was incredibly patient with Peter, knowing that he was about to mess up, knowing that he was about to deny him three times, and still remaining patient with him. We have opportunities every day to be patient with people. And that is the blessing of the church. It is the blessing of the church because we're all people, we all have our problems, and we all have to deal with each other. And as we deal with each other, as we bear with each other, as Paul talks about in Romans 15, as we bear with each other, our patience is strengthened. We're able to be more patient with each other the way that our God in his grace and his mercy is patient to us. Patience with each other the way that Paul talks about there in Romans 15. You know who he refers to God as here in this chapter? He refers to God as the God of endurance. I love that description. I love that description. The God of endurance in Romans 15 verse 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with each other. As he started out this chapter by saying, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings, or as some translations say, the scruples, which I love that word, the scruples or the failings of the weak, and not to please ourselves. We have an opportunity to look around and to bear with each other, to be patient with each other. And if you've ever had people problems, you know that patience is the key ingredient to getting over people problems. But he says in verse 7 there, Therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And that's what this lesson is really all about. Why should we be good people? Why should we be the kind of people who extend forgiveness to others? Why should we be the kind of people who show kindness to other people? Why should we be the kind of people who are patient with each other? It's because God in Christ has welcomed us. God in Christ has shown us his mercy. And so as we think about patience, am I willing to bear with others' weaknesses and failings as God bears with mine? Think about it from God's perspective. How many times he's waited for us to make the right decision and how many times we've made the wrong decision. How many times has God been like that father of the prodigal son watching us out waywardly living our lives? How many times has he patiently waited for us to return? God is so patient with us. And are we willing to bear with other people's weaknesses the way he's, he's borne ours? It's just something that we always need to remember and we always need to think about. God's mercy is amazing. His grace changes our minds, 
It changes our hearts, it changes our actions, and it changes our relationships. God's grace changes everything about who we are. And as we think about God's grace and his mercy and what he's done for us, how his mercies are new every morning, as we think about that, are we mirroring that into the world that we live in? Are we, are we the good people that we need to be? Are we made for good works? Are we out there living in this world in a different way, a countercultural way? Because I would say that love and mercy and grace and extending that to, to the world around us is going to stand out like lights in the darkness. And I think that's what Jesus was talking all about when he told us to let our lights shine before men and let them see our good works. Let them see the good things that we do, not so that we can be justified or not that we can be worthy somehow, but it's our response to the grace that's been shown to us, that favor that we didn't deserve. There is something, though, that gets in the way of that. There is something, though, that clouds that mirror. You know when you get out of the shower and the mirror is all fogged up and you can't see anything, the mirror is not really useful to you at that moment. There is something in our life, in our heart, that fogs the mirror and prevents us from showing God's mercy to other people. And I'm not going to tell you what it is because Sean's going to talk about it this morning. Take out your songbooks, please, and turn to the number that's been announced. Appreciate your patience and your kindness this morning as you've thought together with us about grace. If you've not come to the Lord, if you've not given your life to him in baptism, you cannot experience his mercy. You have not yet experienced his mercy. And if you are in a situation where you understand what you need to do, you know that you are a broken person who needs to be forgiven, like we studied about in Ephesians 2, alienated from, from Christ, separated from God, dead in your sins. If you know that that's your situation this morning, and you're ready to be baptized, washing away those sins, repenting of those sins, coming out of that water, a new creature, and we stand ready to help you this morning. Please come as we stand and sing.